You can do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus says this to the Father. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Now I'm just going to stop right there and talk to you this morning. My, my title of my message this morning is, comes from the, um, the part there in that, in that verse of Scripture where it says, And they could not, speaking of the disciples, trying to cast the devil out of this, um, of this young boy, it said in verse number 18, the latter portion of that, and they could not. Thank you, Heavenly Father, today for this presence of the Lord, for this spirit that is here, for your spirit that is here. Thank you today for the opportunity, God, that we have to share the gospel, to preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I place myself today in your hands asking you to speak through me, to speak through my lips, Lord, to give me exactly what you would have me to share with your people. And I thank you today for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen. and amen. There are, there, is, there are so many great lessons um, that we can learn from this particular narrative here in the Gospel of Mark, in this ninth chapter of Mark. I think everybody here is probably familiar with this passage and with this particular miracle and this deliverance of this young boy from this demon spirit. You've read it many times. I've preached from these scriptures um, over the years various times. But um, there are a lot of lessons here. One of the main lessons that we find here in this is the lack of spiritual power that was displayed by the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know, you remember um, our, our message last week from the first part of this chapter where Jesus and His disciples had been on the Mount of, Tra uh, of Transfiguration. And there on the mountain, there with Jesus, it wasn't all of His disciples, it was the inner circle, Peter, James, and John that went with Him up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there on the mountain, they witnessed Jesus in all of His glory. They saw Him as He was glorified there before them. And they saw, actually also saw Moses and Elijah appear there on the mountain with Jesus Moses and Elijah, they're talking to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you know, a cloud of glory came down and, and the voice of God spoke out of that cloud and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And so God speaking, the voice of God, the audible voice of God that they heard speaking um, there and, and, and praising his son. And so all of this happened on the mountain and now they're coming down from the mountain of glory to the valley and to a place of misery. They're coming from a great experience of experiencing the glory of God and they're coming down now to see the misery and the suffering that's going on below the mountain and in the valley. How many of you all know today that the Christian experience in the Christian life is a land of, it's a land of hills and it's a land of valleys. 
It's a land of mountaintop experiences and that's what God said in Deuteronomy concerning to the children of Israel, concerning the promised land when they would go in. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey, but he said it would be a land of hills and a land of valleys. And there's times that you're up and there's times that you're not so up. Come on, somebody. But it, that's the way that it is. And one day, you know, one, in, in one single day, and I think all of us have experienced this at one time or another, but in one day you can go from experiencing the glory of heaven to experiencing the attacks of hell. One, in one day you can go from being in the presence of the Lord and experiencing the blessings of the Lord to facing the demonic forces of Satan. We've all been there, so that does take place, that does happen. And that's what was going on here. They came from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus had been glorified and they came down that mountain and came face to face with a world that was struggling under demonic forces. In that valley, when they came off that mountain, they came to a place, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, where they were confronted with satanic power. They were confronted by sickness, and sorrow and despair. And also in that valley they found here a brokenhearted father that was facing a mountain of difficulty in his life and an impossible situation in his life, a son, a boy that was bound by the powers of darkness. And I wanna say this this morning, when you're on that Mount of Transfiguration and you're enjoying the blessing and the glory of the Lord, soak it up for all it's worth. Amen. Get all you can get out of it. Enjoy it and praise the Lord for that because I can assure you, and I'm not being negative, but I'm telling you the truth, that there's a valley ahead and you're gonna need the blessing and the glory of the mountain to sustain you through the times of the valley. That's what those mountaintop experiences are for. It stimulates our faith, it builds us up, and it prepares us, it prepares us for the times when we go through the valley and we meet the enemy. And so Jesus and those three disciples, they come down from the, from the, uh, from the mountain, and when they get down on the side of the mountain, they, uh, they see a crowd that had gathered there, and, and uh, the other nine disciples that had not gone to the Mount of Transfiguration were being confronted by some of the scribes that day. And so, so it just so happens what was going on here there was a man, a father, that had brought his demonized son to those nine disciples for healing. Probably someone had told him about Jesus and his disciples that they had a healing ministry or had a deliverance ministry, so to speak. And if they could just get to uh, one of those disciples or to the Lord, and of course Jesus was not present at that time, so he brings the boy to the disciples so that they could cure him of this, uh, attack, from these attacks of Satan, so that they could cast this demon out of him. But as we read in the text in this narrative, uh, they were not successful. They could not cast the demon out of the young boy. And now the scribes had gathered around questioning them and they're pretty much mocking them for their lack of spiritual power that was not demonstrated that day. That should have been, but was not demonstrated that day. And so when Jesus comes and sees the, the gathering and he sees the scribes as they're 
as they're questioning these disciples, he wants an explanation for what's going on. And so the father speaks up as Jesus asks them, what are you discussing with my disciples? What are you talking about? And the father speaks up and he says, I brought to you my son who has a dumb or a mute spirit. And uh, he explains to Jesus that wherever, this, wherever he was, the spirit would get a hold of this boy at various times. It would seize him. It would cause him to go into convulsions. The spirit would throw the boy on the ground. He would foam at the mouth. He would, mouth, he would gnash with his teeth. He would stiffen up and become rigid. And the father said, I spoke to your disciples that they would cast this spirit out, that they would cure him, and that they would cast this spirit out. And here are the words that he said, but they could not. But they could not. They experienced a failure to do actually what Jesus had called them and empowered them to do, as we'll see momentarily. But Jesus, when he heard what was said, was displeased with what he heard. He didn't didn't like what was said. When he heard that they had failed in the delivering of this young boy, he was displeased with that. And in verse 19, we read where Jesus said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he said those words, bring him to me. Hallelujah. Thank God he said that. Amen. Bring him to me. And so we see here in this this narrative that the disciples, there were the religious leaders that were there, the scribes were there, there was a gathering crowd, there was a father with a boy that was, that was bound by the devil and all, everyone in this crowd, no one, let me put it this way, no one within that crowd and that congregation was exhibiting any faith whatsoever. No one out of all, I don't know how many people were there and including the disciples, no one, was exhibiting any faith. And Jesus sees their lack of faith and he calls them a faithless generation. He calls them a faithless bunch of people. And he says, how long, isn't this what he said? How long am I going to put up with you? Come on, somebody. See, and, and, and so he's displeased with this whole situation. And it's a sad thing when you've got a group of people and nobody's believing the Lord and nobody's exhibiting any faith and it upset the Lord Jesus. How many of y'all know, I think we all know, that the Bible says that without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe, must believe that he is and must believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what the scripture says. So so Jesus is not pleased with this lack of faith. But the saddest part of this whole scenario, of this whole account, I believe is the faithlessness and the powerlessness of the disciples, those nine disciples that were there, that were unsuccessful in the deliverance of this young boy. Because here's the thing, listen to me. Jesus had already, and and I use the word powerlessness, but Jesus had already given these men power over unclean spirits. I mean, we go back to the third chapter 
Um, you know, when we were back in the third chapter of Mark, and you see the calling of the disciples in Mark chapter 3, when he ordained the 12 disciples, and it said in Mark 3 and 15 that he gave them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Do you see that? Jesus gave them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And then in that sixth chapter of Mark, a couple of chapters over, it said that he called the 12 to himself and sent them out. When he sent them out two by two, it said that he gave them power over unclean spirits. And verse 13 said that they went out and they preached and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So it wasn't that this was just something normal for these disciples not to have results. We see from the scripture that they had been experiencing results in their ministry. They had anointed with oil many that were sick and those sick had been healed. They had cast out already many demons. Do you see that? That's what the word of God says. But now the scripture says there's something different here. Now it says that they, are, they, they have failed here and they could not cast this demon out and they could not, that's the very words that the scripture uses, and they could not, they could not. They failed when they met with this situation. And I want to, I'm gonna say something. I'm a, I, I, I want you to stay with me this morning because here's what, I, here's what I wanna bring out today because I really believe and the Lord dealing with me this week uh, in, uh, about this passage, but I really do believe that in many ways, these nine disciples in this particular scenario are a picture of the modern day church and even the modern day Pentecostal church because we've come to a place, and you may like this and you may not, but we've come to a place where we have lost our faith, we are powerless, we are weak, and we are ineffective. And we all, all we have all we need, we feel like. I think that the church has gotten to the place of the Laodiceans where the church says we are rich and we are increased of goods and we don't have need of anything but the Lord said, you're not seeing yourself like you ought to see yourself. You're weak and anemic and faithless and powerless and wretched and blind and naked. I believe more than anything in this world and more than any time, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ need a powerful Holy Ghost revival and a stirring like we have never had before. Hallelujah! These nine disciples picture the church. We have come to the place. Maybe this is, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is not appropriate for a, for a um, six-year anniversary in a new facility. But we have come to the place where we feel like we are self-satisfied. We have come to the place where we feel like that we can just sit back and take it easy come to church when we want to, stay home when we want to, pray when we feel like it, read our Bible every once in a while. Come on, church, we need a move of God. 
We need a revival. When the church gets in and, and the members of a church get in that lackadaisical, spiritual slumbering position, that's when we need a stirring of the Holy Ghost. That's when the altars need to be filled with the saints of God seeking a, a, a more of God and more of his power and more of his glory in their life. We've been to the mountaintop and we've experienced the glory, but we're not on the mountaintop today. We're in, we're down in the trenches where the devil is hot and heavy and we've got to have the power of that mountaintop in our hearts and in our lives today. Hallelujah. I'm not satisfied with going through the motions. But we come to a, we come to a place where we, we think and we feel that we have all that we need. We have new facilities. We have a nice, comfortable building. We have good sound and good music. And we do everything to make everybody comfortable. We've got nice padded seats. Some of the most comfortable. When we bought these seats, we bought the very best that we could buy. Amen. So that, so that you could be comfortable. Amen. Because we knew the preacher was long-winded. And we didn't want you, we didn't want your bottom to go to sleep while he was, while he was preaching the word of God. Amen. So we got the very best and we got, you know, everything that we need. But we come to that place sometimes where we become satisfied with what we have and all of our needs being met and everything's going well and everything's good. But we forget, we, 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 we get so satisfied that we lose the anointing and lose the power of the Lord. Come on, somebody. I was reading about, and I've read this account before, about Thomas Aquinas, who was, who was a, um, a bishop in the early Catholic Church in the, um, the 13th, 12th or 13th century. But, um, but uh, uh, Bishop Aquinas had visited, made a visit to the Vatican. And while he was at the Vatican, the Pope pointed to all the great buildings of the Church of Rome. The Pope pointed out all the magnificent structures that the church had built, all of the glory of them. And the Pope said, Behold, Thomas, the church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas was quick to reply to the Pope and said, Yes, that's true, but neither can it say, Rise up and walk. Are you hearing me? Yes, we've got the money and we've got the buildings and we've got the pomp and we've got the glory, but do we have the power? Peter reached in his pocket and said to that lame man, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have any money to put in your cup. Some of the prosperity pimps said, well, he left his wallet at home. Well, I'm telling you, he was broke, but it didn't matter whether he had a dime, two dimes to rub together. He had something that the modern church doesn't have. He had the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Come on, give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. The real measure of success for a church or for a ministry is not how fine the buildings are. Oh, Jesus. 
I would rather be back in the warehouse and have the power of God moving than to be here and be dead and dry and lifeless. Can I get an amen? We're not gonna dry up and blow away. We're not gonna lose the glory. We're not gonna get lackadaisical. We're not gonna get lukewarm. Listen to your pastor today. Abundant Life Family Church will not be a lukewarm, dead, dry church. We will be, by the help of God, a Holy Ghost-filled, anointed powerhouse for the Lord Jesus Christ. The measure of the church and the success of the church today is being measured in how many campuses we have. How many people are in the pews? What is our operating budget? How big is our bank account? Oh, is anybody here today? But the real measure of the church is not in fine buildings and large offerings and great crowds. But the real measure of the success of the church or the real measure of success of ministry is whether or not that church and ministry operates in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this father summed up the effort of the disciples that day when he said to Jesus, and they could not. They had done everything they knew to do, everything they had done before, everything that they had saw being successful in the past. They rebuked the devil. They yelled at the devil, I'm sure. They bound and loosed. And can I tell you something? The devil pays no attention to how soft or how loud we holler at him. You know? Because he, he, the only thing the devil listens to is the name of Jesus spoken in faith and under the power of the Holy Spirit. They bound and they loosed and they prayed and they yelled and they rebuked. What do you do when you you rebuke and the devil doesn't buke? They prayed and they went through all of the Pentecostal calisthenics that we all go through. And after they had said and done everything and yelled and spit and slobbered and slung snot and everything else, nothing changed. Everything was just like it was before they began. And I think that many times, I don't think I know. I know the facts are that we face in our personal lives and as a church, we face the same situation of these disciples. And I preach specifically to the, to the full gospel Pentecostal ranks because that's what we are. That's who we are. 
We're the ones that we claim that we believe the full gospel. We believe all of it. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe, you know, that God still heals and delivers and sets free. We believe that there's power in the name of Jesus. We believe that there's power in the blood of Jesus. We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We believe in, in that power within us to do the works of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus said the works that I do shall you do in greater works because I go to the Father. We believe those things. But then we go through the motions and are like these disciples and see no results. We stand before mountains that are immovable in our lives and see no change. We have the same Holy Ghost that Jesus had, that the early church had, that the apostles had. We have the same Holy Spirit, but yet we see more failure than we do success. Not a whole lot of shouting now. How many agree I'm telling you the truth? And how many will agree with me today it shouldn't be that way? I, 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 listen to me, I believe just as Jesus was upset with this situation, when that father said, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't help him, and Jesus immediately said, you faithless bunch. You think, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I don't have to say that to make people mad, but Jesus said it. Yeah. He said, you faithless bunch, how long am I gonna put up with you? Do you think that Jesus ever looks down upon the church and sees us in our frailty and in our weakness of power, our lack of power and faith and spiritual ability and ever thinks that or says that, you guys, I'm, I'm disappointed. Don't you think he would say, I'm disappointed in you. I know there would be those today that would teach that Jesus never says anything negative about the church, never calls Christians to repent, but I would advise you again, taking you back to Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus would say what he found good about the church, but then he would follow it up by saying, but I have this against you. Nevertheless, you have left your first love. That's where the Pentecostal church of today is. We have walked away from the power and the glory of God. We've got so caught up in the carnality of this world that we have lost the anointing and the spirit and we're like Samson, the spirit of the Lord's departed and we don't even know. I'm really reeling it in, ain't I? Samson is a perfect picture of the church today. The Philistines are upon you and we get up and shake ourselves and say, I'll go out and do the same thing I've done before, but he didn't realize the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Whew, help me, Jesus. But then Jesus commands the boy to be brought to him. Now I'm going to have to skip some things, but... And this is still the answer. 
to your impossible situation. No matter what it is. Jesus said, bring him to me. You know, we, 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 we look a lot of times often to other resources other than Jesus. But Jesus said, bring him to me. And you know, when you come up for prayer and, and, and you're not looking to me, you're not bringing a need to this prayer group or to these altar workers, but you're bringing it to the Lord Jesus Christ because he has the answer. And so they bring the boy to Jesus. And if you'll notice, the Bible says that when the demons saw Jesus, in verse number 20, it said when this demon saw Jesus, now, now this, is, this is very important because he sees Jesus and he attacks the boy again right in front of Jesus, right in the presence of the Lord Jesus. You know, other times, you read in Mark and the other Gospels, when demons saw Jesus, most of the time they cried out and said, are you come to torment us? Don't torment us, you know, send us into the pigs, whatever the case. They were crying out for help. They were crying out for mercy. But here this, this demon sees Jesus and he cuts a shine. He acts up again. He throws the boy down in, in front of Jesus and brings, starts convulsions. It's a, just a pitiful scene that we read about there in, in those verses. And so the spirit, this evil spirit, was trying the same thing with Jesus that he had tried with the disciples. I'm sure this is what happened when the disciples encountered this evil spirit. It, uh, it tried to intimidate them and very much did so. And when the convulsions were going on, I mean, doubts begin to enter now the minds of the disciples. And so, you know, listen, listen. And we see something here because there's many times when we're facing adversity and we're believing God, there's a lot of times that things get worse before they get better. There's times that the devil, that's his plan, that's his strategy. He fights harder. He doesn't give up easy. And that's why we can't give up either. Come on, somebody. See, so Jesus begins to question the Father. And Jesus says to the Father, he's, he's, he's standing there watching this. The demon is convulsing the little boy. But there's one thing you notice about Jesus. He never gets nervous. He never gets excited. He's not wringing his hands. He's not worried about the situation. Situation. He's got it all under control. And Jesus, while the devil's showing out, Jesus looks at the dad and said, how long's he been like this? How long has it been since this came on him? And the father answered him and said, from childhood, from a child. I think there's something really significant here because children can be demonized. It says so right here. Jesus said that. But I think there's something that's, that's real, really more significant than that, and that is this, that from childhood... Satan is after your kids. 
Hallelujah. I said from childhood, from when they're toddlers, Satan has them targeted, has those kids targeted. He's after them. And listen to me, the devil will start on those kids at an early, early age. And boy, especially in the culture we're living in today with the access to internet, with what's on our television screens. And I'm telling you, you know, if we don't reel some of that junk in with the music, with everything that's going on, the video games, if we don't reel some of that stuff in as Christian parents and, and keep that from our children, they'll, at an early age, they are being targeted and influenced by satanic powers. And this world culture, this world culture in 2019, this world culture that is demonized. Let me tell you something. This world culture is demonized today. And this demonized culture is out to tank the minds of our young people and to tank the minds of our children and to cause them to believe their lies. And it's creeping into our school districts where they have to begin to teach that uh, the transgender thing is okay, that the homosexual gay rights thing has to be accepted, every commercial, every TV show, every cartoon is now influencing our children to believe that sin is the norm. Can I tell you what? Sin is still sin. It's still wrong. If it's in the Bible and it says it's wrong, it's still wrong. Hallelujah. Our children, when did this come upon him? When he was a child. But yet we don't see the need. I'm going to really make you mad now. We don't think it's necessary to have our children in church other than for just a few 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. But we will put them in the hands of the world six days a week all day and all night and have that evil influence. When did it come on him? As a child, from childhood. And then that teenager grows up and they act up and they get in drugs and they're involved in all kinds of sin. Where did I go wrong? When did that happen? It came to them when they were a child. But we don't expose them to the Word of God. We don't expose them. Listen to me, parents. You can like me, you can hate me. It really matters not. I'm going to preach the Word. I'm going to preach the truth. And it's up to you then whether you abide by it or not. Parents, listen. Those kids are looking at you. If Sunday night church is not important to you, it will never be important to them. That's right. That's right, Pastor. Mm -mm. You need to have that young person in Sunday school from nursery age to teenage. You need to have them in the Word of God. 
You need to have them exposed to Sunday morning, Sunday night, youth group, anything that's going on at church. Hallelujah. And not only that, but you need to have them exposed to the Word of God and to Jesus at home, in your home as well. I didn't aim to stop on that point, but the Holy Spirit's impressing this upon me. When did it come upon him? From childhood. From childhood. So, it's been a long time that this boy has been in this situation and in this condition. Would you agree with that? It's been a long time. I don't know how old he is here. doesn't say. But for years now, he's in this condition. So it's an ongoing situation. The father's been dealing with this for a long time. The spirit... This demon had tried to destroy this boy many times. It had thrown him into the water, thrown him into the fire. And that's what Satan does. He wants to kill, to steal, to destroy. See, God's not your problem, saints. Satan is the one that comes. If there's anything that's out to destroy you or to kill you or to rob from you or to hurt you, it's not God. God's not doing that. It's Satan that's out to kill and destroy. But Jesus came to destroy one thing. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? I said He came to destroy the works of the devil. The Father reveals here, and I've got to, I've got to get, bring this to a close, but the Father reveals the true condition of his faith. When he says in verse 22 to Jesus, when he explains what had happened, and Jesus said, I mean, the, the boy's convulsing as they're talking. And the father gives out a cry. You, you can tell it's a cry of desperation. And he says, if you, but if you can do, he says this to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Years of experience of seeing that boy in those convulsions, attacked by that demon. The father has been disappointed one more time by now the ineffectiveness the ineffectiveness of the disciples of Jesus. And it's, it's obvious that his faith has been shaken and doubts are beginning to creep in. And I heard this, a preacher make this statement the other day. Or actually it was the other morning very early and I was listening to this and I was listening to a particular minister. And he made this statement and it stuck to me. Was, you ever hear something just grabbed you? And he said, the continued exposure to an unchanging situation is the breeding ground of unbelief. The continued exposure to an unchanging situation 
is the breeding ground of unbelief. And that's what was happening to this father. He had solved this condition of this boy for so many years from childhood. He had tried, no doubt, everything to bring relief. He brings him to the disciples. They did their shenanigans and nothing happened. And now he's convinced He's convinced that Jesus, he knew Jesus did want to help him and he cries out for help, but he he clings to this ray of hope, but he's just not really sure. He just says, Lord, if you can do anything, I've tried everything else, I've been to everybody else, your disciples, if you can do anything. How many of y'all have ever been there? How many of y'all have ever been there when it seems you're at your wit's end and you've prayed and you've rebuked and you've confessed and you've quoted scriptures and you've meditated on the word and you've done everything that you've been told to do and nothing changes but everything stays the same but yet you still believe, you still know I don't understand it but I know my Jesus can still do anything. Come on. You know what's happening? You're fighting unbelief. You are fighting unbelief. All of us fight doubts and unbelief. That's why it's a fight of faith. You're really not told to fight the devil. You're told to resist him. (laughs) But you are told that you're fighting the fight of faith. What is that fight? It's fighting against unbelief. The cry of desperation. If you can do anything. How many of you believe Jesus can do anything? He was questioning the Lord. If you can. Help us. He had come to the place where he knew who Jesus was, but can you see the doubt there? If you can, help us. Help us. And Jesus turned the thing around. And Jesus didn't say, oh, I can. He didn't say that. But Jesus said to the man, If you can, if you can, the man said, Jesus, if you can. And he said, no, 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 if you can, if you can, if you can, if you can what? If you can believe. See, the question was not a question of the ability or the power of Jesus. But the question was the ability of that man to believe and get rid of unbelief and to believe Jesus could and that he would. Because he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So he turns the issue around. See, it's not a matter, saints, of Jesus' ability to help, but it's the matter of the Father's inability to believe. The Father has got a responsibility to believe also. You have the responsibility to believe. Jesus said all things are possible. See, it's not if Jesus can, but it's can I. I, Brother Swaggart's note in the Expositor to Study Bible on that verse says, if he has promised it, 
and you can believe it, you can have it. If he has promised it and you can believe it, then you can have it. I think somebody ought to shout right there. See, there are no limits to what God can do for those who of us, who are, are, are you, who anybody who will believe. Who, all things are possible to him that believes. But then, listen, bring this, bring this down. Listen. The honest prayer of this father. What was his prayer? Jesus said, oh, if you can believe, all things are possible. And you, what did he say? He said, Lord, I believe. But then what was the next thing he said? Help my unbelief. Mm. God, that needs to sink in. Lord, I believe. How many of y'all believe today? How many of y'all believe today? Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. No matter what I'm facing, no matter the impossibility. Lord, I believe. How many of y'all believe? You believe? But then on the other, how many of y'all have doubts sometimes? Come on, raise both hands, amen? Be honest with me. Everybody here, if you're here today and you believe only and you never have a doubt, come up here right now and lay both your hands on me. Right now, let's get rid of this throat thing. Right now, if you never have a doubt and you only believe, come on right now and pray for your pastor. No, we're all in that boat. We all believe. We all have faith. If you're born again, yes. if you're saved, you've been dealt the measure of faith. But then right on the other hand, you deal with doubts. You're attacked by unbelief. That's the devil's job. is to try to get you to disbelieve the word of God. Are you following that? So that's where the battle's at. And this guy says, Lord, I believe. This dad says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And you know what I love about that? Jesus didn't rebuke him for saying that. Jesus didn't grab him and say, oh, brother, that's a bad confession. I get tired of that nonsense pretty easy. Are you with me? Jesus didn't shake him and say, don't say that. That's a bad confession. You'll have what you say. No. He said, I've got some doubts. I've got some. Help. The prayer was help my unbelief. Again, Brother Swaggart in his note says, that's a prayer that the Lord will always answer. Help my unbelief. Because we're all made of the same stuff. And we're all made of the same dirt. And we all fight the same battles. And Jesus knows those doubts are there. And he's there to help us with our doubts and to help us with our unbelief. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. We've got we've to realize they're there and say, Lord, help us. Did the Lord answer that man's prayer? I can guarantee you, yes, he did. Because he said all things are possible to him that believe. And Jesus said, if you can believe, it can happen. And he said, help my unbelief. And I can read to you from the scripture that his boy was delivered and his boy was set free. Hallelujah. Made whole that day. Did Jesus help his unbelief? You better believe he did. Woo, hallelujah. We've been taught by, by a group of people out here never to acknowledge if we have a doubt. Faith is in the heart. 
Doubts are in the mind. You can have faith and doubt at the same time. That guy did. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three. He said, "You know, he said if you believe in your heart and not doubt in your heart, what's the heart?" Here we go. I'm, I can't get off on this side trust. The heart is, your, is your, the real you, the spirit, the part of you that's been born again, the spirit man. The mind is a part of your soul, make, your soulish makeup. The soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Amen. But your spirit man is what has been born again and recreated. Your spirit man, the real you on the inside. You're a triune being. Your spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. Your body's not born again. Your body's not saved. Your soul is being saved. But your spirit man has been saved, washed in the blood, and born again by the Spirit of Almighty God. And the Holy Ghost lives in there. Woo, hallelujah. So your faith is in your spirit. You believe in your heart. But then the reasonings and the thoughts and the imaginations and the doubts, that's where the warfare comes in. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought to the captivity of Christ. Lord, help my unbelief. I believe in my heart. Help me with these doubts in my mind. Get rid of that junk. Cast that stuff out. Man, I wished I had all day. I love this. I love this. Jesus rebuked that spirit. Still convulsing. Jesus rebuked the spirit and said, Come out of him, you foul spirit, and enter him no more. Come out and stay out. Now when Jesus says that, that's all it takes. Amen. The Spirit, then it said, the King James said, it tear him. And he screamed with a loud scream. And then he fell on the ground, limp as a dish rag. And they thought he died. Everybody was saying, he's dead. Now Jesus killed him. <laughs> he's dead. He wasn't dead. As I said, Satan doesn't give up easy. This was his last ditch effort to make a final show because he knew now that Jesus had told him to go, he's gonna have to get, pack up and get out of Dodge. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Woo! 
whom the Son has made free is free indeed. He don't deliver us halfway. He don't deliver us part of the way. But when Jesus sets us free, he delivers us all the way. Hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah to God. Glory to God, amen? amen? Let me close, let me close, let me close. I've been trying to close. But listen. <laughs> Here's where we gotta come. They got back home. You know, this, this, this demon makes him look like he's dead. Jesus just reached down, grabs him by the hand and lifts him up. He's completely healed. Gives him back to his father. They go home shouting the victory. So that's the way a church service ought to be. That's right. Come in with your problem and leave being touched by Jesus and leave shouting the victory. They get back to the house. They're sitting there having them a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something. Sitting around the, around the table, conversation. And those nine disciples were sitting there being kind of quiet. And all of a sudden, one of them got the nerve to ask Jesus. And here's the question that we as a church should be asking Jesus. They said to Jesus, Lord, why could not we cast him out? Oh, that's... Mm, hallelujah. That's the question that, that, that needs to be answered by the Pentecostal church today because it doesn't matter how many light shows we have, our smoke machines, our fog machines, or, or, or what kind of, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of music we have. What matters is this. Can we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, minister the power of God to those who are in need? And if we cannot, why? This needs to be the question that we ask. Why could not we cast him out? Mark's gospel says this. Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer, but by prayer and fasting. That's what Mark says. But Jesus gives a more complete answer. Are y'all still with me? Jesus gives a more complete answer in Matthew 17. The same incidents given in Matthew 17. And when they, do you have that? You can put up Matthew 17, 20. And they asked Jesus in Matthew 17, why couldn't we cast him out? And look at this answer. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Then he talks about faith as a grain of mustard seed removing mountains. And then look at verse 21. And then he said, how be it this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. So notice Jesus said two things. Your unbelief and prayer and fasting. Those two are synonymous. Those two answers are actually synonymous. 
And you might say, well, Brother Rick, how could they be synonymous? Because what Jesus was saying here, I already told you. We already read the scriptures where Jesus had given them the power to cast out demons and heal the sick. But he called them a faithless generation. And here he answers them and says, you couldn't do it because of your unbelief. And then he says, you need faith only as a grain of mustard seed. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can remove a mountain. But that faith has to be a pure faith and not inhibited by any doubt or unbelief. You know how big a mustard seed is, just a little tiny. It's not that you need more faith. You just need to get your faith freed from the unbelief, freed from the doubt. And that little dab of faith, that little bit of faith will move a mighty mountain out of your way and bring victory into your life. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. So what Jesus was telling them by fasting and prayer was that that fasting and prayer is the cure for the unbelief that's hindering the power from flowing in your life and in your church. Now I'm just gonna go ahead and close now. Is this my third or fourth close? Fourth. Fourth. How many is getting what I'm saying? You getting? Prayer. This is what we love to hear. And fasting. Let me say it again just because everybody loves it. Prayer. And fasting. Does anybody here not know what fasting is? Anybody not know? Everybody knows. Don't see no hands. Fasting means to what? Abstain from food. It's an abstinence from food. Spend some time pushing back from the table. Prayer and fasting together will cure unbelief. And I wish I had some more time, but I've got to quit. Listen. We need as a church to begin... I've talked about this before, so I don't, I don't have time to go into all of it because fasting doesn't, doesn't make God love you anymore. Fasting doesn't, 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 doesn't make you somebody special. Fasting will not break the sin nature's power over you. That comes through the cross, amen? But I'll tell you what fasting does do. Fasting denies your flesh. Mm, Hallelujah. It was food that enticed the woman and caused the first sin. It enticed the flesh. And, And fasting, abstaining from food denies that flesh and it puts down the the carnal man and prayer added to that. What does prayer do? Prayer and the word of God builds up the spirit man. So if you can put down the carnal man and and build up the spirit man, I'm telling you what, unbelief will have no place to operate in your life whatsoever. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on back. I'm calling you back. Come on back. 
But fasting here that Jesus mentioned refers not just to missing some meals or fasting food, but Jesus is talking about a fasted life. Living a fasted life. Unbelief, you know, unbelief gets a hold of our our mind, our soul, and our carnal nature. And how many of y'all ever heard of fasting the carnal mind? This ain't no new doctrine. What do you mean by that? Fasting means to abstain, right? Well, you can abstain, your body can abstain from food, but you need to fast this thing right here. Because we spend so much time feeding this carnal mind with stupid TV and stupid Facebook, social media. I know I'm unpopular now. God, God dealt with me about that this morning. And He said, you know... He said, you need to cut a bunch of that stuff out. To fast the internet for a while. Fast social media. Fast your radio. Amen? Your TV. And abstain from that. Boy, I really, I was feeling good until I got to this and now everybody's looking at me funny. And, and, and spend that time then feeding that, your mind on something that will drive out doubt and unbelief because that TV's feeding your doubts and fears. Amen. That internet's feeding your doubts and fears. That Facebook's feeding your flesh. But if you'll cut some of that out and get your Bible and go into your prayer closet and shut the door and let God talk to you through his word and you talk to God, there's no breeding ground for doubt or for unbelief because the word of God and the spirit of God will drive it out. Oh, hallelujah. You can't feed on that stuff all week long and have faith. You can't feed on it all week long and believe God. Smith Wigglesworth was, was, was known as the apostle of faith. <laughs> Anybody familiar with him? You know who I'm talking about, Smith Wigglesworth? He died in 1948. Multiple, several raised from the dead in his ministry, miracles of healing, that beggar description. Powerful man of God. Was an uneducated plumber that couldn't even read and write. And when God saved him and filled him with the Holy Ghost, he could read the Bible. God taught him to read the Bible. By reading the Bible, God taught him to read. By his own admission, he never read anything but the Bible. After a meal was done, he said everybody would engage in unprofitable conversation. And Smith Wigglesworth would pull out his New Testament and go get over by himself and read the Word of God. He didn't want to listen to what anybody else had to say. Lester Summerall. You familiar with Brother Lester Summerall? Lester Summerall knew Smith personally. And Lester Summerall went uh, to his house and on the way had stopped and bought a morning newspaper 
had it rolled up and under his arm, knocked on the door, and Smith Wigglesworth came to the door and opened the door and saw Brother Summerall. He said, what's that under your arm? He said, it's the morning paper. He said, leave that trash outside. We don't allow that unbelief in here. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're really getting, listen. Well, now you're getting fanatic, Brother Rick. Now you're getting fanatic. Well, I tell you what, he saw miracles, and we ain't seeing them. This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. The unbelief's got to go. The demons have got to go. The victory's got to be won. The Pentecostal church has got to come back. The mountain of unbelief has got to move. And when we move the mountain of unbelief, the glory that was on top of that mountain can come down then into the valley and can do a work in our lives.